The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Indeed it does. And right now on Fast, charting the market's next move, why investors should pay close attention to the technicals for Apple and Microsoft. We'll go inside the key levels for these tech titans. Plus, troubles in China, new data on the economic slowdown happening in Beijing and the ripples that could hit our shores in the months to come. New reporting from inside China is minutes away. And later, topping the tape on a ride-sharing favorite of our traders, the options action on Target ahead of earnings. And can home builders keep booming or will rising rates drop the hammer on the sector? I'm Tyler Matheson, in tonight from Melissa Lee. Glad to be with you. This is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. We've got a full table tonight, I'm so happy to say. Last time I was here, nobody, it was just one But well, we knew you were going to be here, yeah. so we well, showed up for Thank dinner. you very much. That's nice. Tim Seymour is here, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for letting me play at your table. Glad to have you. Right, we start with a late day breakdown in the market. Stocks accelerating their sell-off in the final half hour of trading. All three of the major indexes down more than a percent on the day, closing near their lows. The Dow snapping a three-day win streak. NASDAQ, S&P now both lower in eight of the last 11 sessions. And take a look at this. The S&P breaking below a key level of support today closing below its 50-day moving average, something it hasn't done since late March. And the tech titans also flashing some technical warning signs. Apple, Microsoft as well, have been clinging to their 100-day moving averages. Apple breaching it today for the first time since January. And Tim, you flagged these key levels for Apple and Microsoft. Why are they such telltales? Look, the sh we know the sheer weight. We talk about that all the time. But the weight of these names really is the weight on the market. And, and as much as we've talked for weeks about the broadening of the market, whether it's industrials, whether it was transports, even some small caps, EM, EM makes fresh relative all-time lows. Uh, as someone that was getting kind of bowled up about EM, you, you've had a lot of different head fakes. One week ago, we lost the semis below that 50-day. So I talked about semis. We all have talked about semis uh, in terms of their leadership. You lost that leadership, and then uh, you then had the Qs, which you know, yesterday essentially gave up that 50-day, and today the S&P as well. So um, that's happening at a time when if we're getting a breakdown in the biggest names in the market from significant levels, at a time when maybe we're getting a breakout yield. Uh, and we'll sprinkle in some China, we'll sprinkle in some Fitch, we'll sprinkle in some other things that people, it just wasn't part of the equation, Tyler, in terms of what we were talking about for this market. How, how guy, important to you is the idea that these bellwether stocks, these bell cows of the market, are breaking below some technical support levels? Extraordinarily, but I think the audience should know, you got a late call for this. I mean, you're out, you're hanging out back in EC. <laughs> that's right. And you, that's the pro you are. That's what, what's that mountain, 
with all the it's, rush, it's called Rushmore. He's it's, on you know, it. No, I mean, Melissa was called to jury duty. Yeah. You know, indictments are everywhere these everywhere. days. Everywhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. Everywhere. Yes, they she, are. She luckily was freed, however, uh, so she will be back. Free tomorrow. Melissa. That's a hashtag. That's trending. That's a hashtag. To answer your question, and obviously, thanks for being. And thank it's, you for it's, the. Uh, it's uh, extra- ice coffee. You're welcome. You it's, for me. They're extraordinarily important. I mean, again, I've said it. I think it's true. Microsoft is one of the five most important companies on the planet. It doesn't mean the last run-up, the stock didn't get extraordinarily expensive. Given the earnings releases over the last few quarters, they've been good, but not great by Microsoft standards. And Apple, a stock that everybody seems to think just goes higher, it actually does go lower as well. And now you've seen three disappointing quarter by Apple standards. It's a company that's now gotten itself very expensive on valuation, especially with interest rates moving higher. So it is important, these companies, and more importantly, the fact that Microsoft seemingly has put in a huge double top and Apple is now flirting with its prior all-time high. That's something to be concerned about. Yeah, wasn't about. it at an all-time high just a month ago, mm-hmm. within the last month, right? Yeah, I, I can't, yeah so, I so the two of them specifically sold off after earnings. They've been down 10%. Another one we could throw in there is Tesla. And, and all three companies actually disappointed you know, on, on some sort of metric that a lot of investors had not been really too worried about from a valuation standpoint in the run-up. I mean, Carter has been on the show you know, a dozen times over the last few months talking about really this perfect 45-degree angle that those companies companies have had, at least their stocks have had, from their lows, whether it was uh, Apple early this year or Microsoft late last year. And, you know, just the magnitude of market cap that had been gained and the valuation in which it was trading at relative to other parts of the market. Like, this is really important. We've had this conversation a little bit. You take out these seven stocks that make up 25, 26 percent of the S&P 500, you know, they're trading at multiples that they have not been that comfortably trading at above 30 times, at least Microsoft and Apple. The rest of the market, the cyclical stuff, the energy stuff, that stuff was trading well below a market multiple. So they were pricing in recession, whereas a lot of these other larger names were not. That froth is coming out of it. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, we have this excitement around AI, this, this really strong secular shift that is going to play out for years, if not decades, that sort of thing. But a lot of the enthusiasm was encapsulated in a very short period, a short of, time period of time in, in trillions of dollars of market cap in a small group of names. And I think that's what's coming undone right now. So, Karen, we, we, we talk about the technical thing. Things that are that are that are manifesting themselves, but but Tim mentioned a couple of other things. You've got China, you've got Fitch, you've got uh, all kinds of other little worries. You've got Fed uh, in here somehow. Where do we put these technical measures in that broader context of other things that are making the market maybe over the last three weeks a little jumpy? Well, one of the other things I think is interest rates, which yeah. you guys touched on. So we look at the 10-year. That Going actually up. this morning hit a little over four and a quarter. And I think quarter, it closed right. at like 421. So I think it's sort of just coming back to math, which is the higher the risk-free rate, right, the lower the multiple for stocks. So that, so I think that's what's happening here. And we see it more in the really high flyers, names, you know, with huge multiples. So the QQQ is getting hit more the IGV getting hit more. So what's and then I like some of those other names of lower PEs. Yeah. But that's not working right so now why either. So why are interest rates going up the way they are? Well, one of the, we had a guest on Andy Constant a couple weeks ago talked about just the sheer volume of supply to come to the markets mm-hmm. is making, you know, you got to mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. pay more. You got to, yeah. Right, you got to pay more to attract the buyers. Yes. And so we're seeing a big move in the 10-year, big move in the 30-year. Yeah. And, the, and the near end sort of staying about the same issue. 
Tim? We're a financial show. No one wants to hear about politics on this show. I'll say this, um, the, the, the indictments, but more broadly, the, the backdrop of Fitch and deficits and what the Fed has to do, but what the government needs to do, the refunding schedule. But if, if the ratings agencies are telling us that at least they're watching politics in this country, as a guy that followed EM for years, I mean, we never worried about politics in this country. It was never about the circus in D.C. Um, the, the circus in D.C. has probably gotten a little more extraordinary in the last few years. But I, I just bring it back to these are all ingredients in why I think rates are moving higher, why they can at least move higher in, in, in you know, in in unison with each other. There, there's a lot of different reasons why we see rates move higher. Equities haven't had a chance to catch their breath and really assess. I mean, look, there's there a lot of people that started this year that thought we'd th see a 10-year south of 3%. Um, and, and, you know, we could very well finish this year with the 10-year north of 5%. So um, I, I just think for equities, the implications are bigger. And right now, there is macro going on that's affected. Thoughts? 10-year at north of 5% by the end of this year, I think Tim would agree, would not be good for equities. And no. Bill Ackman, a couple a couple weeks ago made a bet against the bond market. He actually, at least in the short term, top ticked it. That day it traded up to four and a quarter. A week or so later, we're back into the 390s. Here we are. Rates are not going higher because the economy is magically getting better. Rates are going higher for the wrong reasons. And it's not just here in the United States. Japan, very quietly, rates are moving against them right now. And we'll talk about China later in the show. They seem to have issues as well. So you have this sort of global bond markets seemingly unraveling at the wrong time and is not supportive of equity prices. Yeah, and it comes Final back flow, to, yeah. I think, inflation, right? So if you think about everything that's gone on in China, we're getting all these deflationary readings. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if all of the stuff that we learned during the pandemic, post-pandemic, all of the supply chain issues, everything that we learned about Russia's invasion of Ukraine and what that means for energy, and we had Halima Croft on last night, we are talking about a little bit of this as a form of national security, it's all inflationary. So your question was, rates... You know, they've come farther than a lot of people thought. And I think we have to be prepared for them to stay higher for longer unless, again, we find ourselves in a situation like in March where we have, you know, uh, you know, a regional banking crisis. Banking or problem. maybe yep. there's a crisis. Listen, the higher rates go, and there's a lot of smart folks talking about this. Doug Cass is one who's been writing about it lately. I mean, listen, we thought those mark-to-market issues, those kind of held-to-maturity you know, sort of issues were not going to be a big thing for a lot of the money center banks. That might be the case. We might start to see that in the back half of the year, especially if rates continue to go higher and these bond portfolios go lower and we have deterioration of credit and we're seeing a lot of these things around. Why did the banks get hit so hard today? Well, if you put all the stuff that's going on in China together a little bit, you're thinking about who has exposures. These are things that we've done in the energy patch back in 14, 15 and 16, who had exposure there when crude oil was trading at 25 bucks and we were seeing bankruptcy. So to me, I think we're going to have a nice opportunity to put a lot of the themes of 2023 together, probably in the next couple of months or so, as we were waiting for what the knock on effects of the different themes. And I know we got to get on to our next guest, but I'll just simply say, you know, the, the consumer was where we thought the world was going to fall apart. Right. We thought the labor market was going to fall out of bed. We thought 550 Fed basis. That's not what's happening. The labor market's very resilient. And in fact, the pressures we're seeing are from places where people think consumer weren't expecting was very good. It's been yeah. retail sales were, were solid. Retail today. sales. Very good. Very good. This is a perfect segment for our next guest uh, to talk more about the markets and the uh, impact of big tech and interest rates here. Let's bring in Peter Bookvar, Chief Investment Officer at Bleakley Financial Group, CNBC contributor. Peter, I I'm sure you just listened to this conversation and, and you're, you're, you must be licking your chops because you say the thing to watch here is the move in interest rates, the 10-year especially. Explain. <clears throat> 
Well, what's interesting is that the market over the last couple of months, I think, was getting comfortable that inflation's moderating and the Fed's almost done. And then all of a sudden, we get smacked with this rise in long-term interest rates that I don't think anybody uh, or not many anticipated. And Guy made the right point that before that they're rising for the wrong reasons. They're not rising because there's been this sudden acceleration in economic growth around the world. They're rising for the BOJ making a move, the last major central bank to finally join the tightening party. And you guys discussed about all the supply. At the same time, the Fed is essentially selling treasuries. Banks are no longer buying. Foreign central banks are net sellers. And that uh, the market's saying, well, you know, the clearing price for where the tenure should go with all this, these moving parts is higher. And, and I think that was really uh, sort of the surprise over the last couple of weeks. So you say, you know, the market doesn't seem to understand the point that Tim and Guy just sort of made, which is the idea that, that rates may go higher, they may stay higher for longer, and, and Karen as well making the point, that that is not good for equities. Can't yeah, be. and this is now all parts of the yield curve. You know, there was one thing to see the rise in the short end because what the Fed was doing. And like I said, I think everyone got complacent thinking that, oh, I don't want to miss the Fed is done trade. And all of a sudden realizing, okay, yeah, well, maybe the Fed's almost done, but the 10 years now trading at 420, and that's a problem. And the 30-year mortgage rate, which is priced off the 10-year, according to bank rate, is at the highest level since 2000. 23 years ago, you have to go back the last time we had a mortgage rate that was this high. Yeah, it, it, it really is amazing. It's one of the reasons why I guess um, a builder sentiment went down the way it did uh, uh, earlier today, as if I'm recalling correctly. Let's talk a little bit about where we began, and that was with the, uh, the technical support sort of eroding on two of the, of, of the uh, bell cows of the market, Microsoft and Apple. What is your take there? So the, these companies, if we remember, we go back to Q1, and we had sort of very pedestrian growth rates. Microsoft reported single-digit revenue growth. Apple reported a decline in revenue growth. Meta, um, Alphabet, very pedestrian single-digit revenue growth numbers. And that w was cleared of everybody's minds with all the AI excitement. And the beauty about earnings season is that it's always a nice reality check. And what we've seen with this past earnings season, Q2, was that these growth rates are still rather pedestrian. So as great as these companies are, you know, there's still this love affair with them. But their growth rates, they're not growth companies anymore. They're, they're decent growers, but all of a sudden started to trade at very hefty growth-like multiples. And uh, like I said, earnings was a reality check that earnings growth is just okay, nothing great. And I think the decline we saw in Microsoft and Apple, with those two being the biggest, with even after the correction, the combined market cap of the two companies being $5 trillion, that I think that was really noteworthy was the pullback post earnings for them. All right, Peter, thanks very much. Let's uh, knock around a couple of things Peter uh, just uh, mentioned there, particularly, Guy, the idea that these two great companies, I mean, either by any standard, Apple and Microsoft are great American global companies, but they may not be growth companies. No. I mean, when Apple was a growth company 10 years or so, well, seven or eight years ago, it was trading at a value company valuation. Now that it's a value company, <laughs> it trades, it's 
really ridiculous. And the same thing can be said for Microsoft. I mean, either one of them is probably either side of 30 times next year's numbers. And in this environment, that's expensive, especially if rates are going to continue to go higher. They're great companies. They just got very expensive very quickly. So if quickly. you own these companies, do you sell them or do you just not add to your positions? Well, if you've been listening to me, you sold them a long time ago. So that was the wrong advice. But, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. I think there's further downside. For example, <laughs> wow. Microsoft. That's deep. That's deep. You know, that's yeah. good. I mean, we should stop right there. That was good. Show is over. The show. <laughs> Let's go right to Jim, that's who's good. standing by. Can we re-roll that back? No, I think, look, 290-ish is a 50% retracement of the recent all-time high in Microsoft and the low we made, you know, earlier this year. It also happens, I mentioned, huge double top. So that's a level, I think, as scary as it may look when it gets there, that's actually when you want to start buying this thing. All right. Any final thoughts? Well, I I simply think, you know, there's been a lot of doom and gloom talked about on this show tonight. I think I would put this in some perspective. I mean, at 160, um, I think you've had a nice pullback in Apple. I think all of these things were due to pullback. I think the markets had one of the greatest runs. Apple's up 54% to its highs from the start of the year. That's part of why we're having this conversation. These moves are so extraordinary. Uh, The fact of the matter is today's retail sales numbers showed that non-discretionary items um, were the ones that people were buying a lot of. But things like Apple, honestly, a lot of phones were pulled forward, a lot of like Electronics. All right, let's. Uh, we've got some new details on the J.P. Morgan and Jeffrey Epstein case. Eamon Javers has the details. Hi, Eamon. Hey there, Tyler. Yeah, we're learning these new details today about just how late into the life of sex offender Jeffrey Epstein his referral relationship with J.P. Morgan continued and just how plugged in Epstein was to the government of the U.S. Virgin Islands. In a legal filing by the U.S. Virgin Islands, a document reveals that Epstein's assistant emailed J.P. Morgan in February of 2019, many years after the bank had decided not to do business with Epstein, and offered to introduce the bank to Catherine Rumler, a former White House counsel to President Barack Obama. A spokesman for Rumler's current employer, Goldman Sachs, declined to comment today. A document also shows a similar 2007 introduction by Epstein to Nick Ribas, a longtime Donald Trump casino executive. A call to a phone number associated with Ribas was not answered this afternoon. And in a filing by J.P. Morgan, a newly disclosed email shows that the legally embattled former uh, governor, John DeJong, asked Epstein for a loan of $215,000. I really appreciate your willingness to help, DeJong wrote in that email to Epstein. Now, CNBC has not been able to obtain a comment from DeJong this afternoon. And a separate document indicates that an Epstein employee was able to obtain a seal from the U.S. Customs Department that would allow him to access secure areas at the airport in the U.S. Virgin Islands and, quote, escort passengers through U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Tyler. So you're getting a sense here of how this relationship on the island evolved and how his relationship with financial executives and higher-ups evolved as well over time. Back over to you. The the tentacles uh, keep uh, presenting themselves one way or another. Eamon, thank you very much. And coming up, banks uh, feeling the blues after a Fitch downgrade warning. But that didn't stop one of our traders from scooping up shares of one of the big players. The name, the trader, the details next. Plus, some bright spots in today's reddish sea. Why the moves in Comcast and Lyft are catching our traders' eyes and how you should play those names. When Fast Money returns, We'll be back in two minutes. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. 
What can you do with Spy? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. Spy is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. The banking industry on edge today. After news, some of the nation's biggest and highest rated banks are at risk of being downgraded. In a note earlier this summer, Fitch Ratings cut its assessment of the banking sector and said another downgrade could force the agency to reevaluate its standing on more than 70 names, including top-rated ones like J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America. Karen, you bought some J.P. Morgan. You're not worried. I'm not. Well, I'm always worried about something. But You're always worried about and something. I was long going into today. But yeah, I thought this thing, this Fitch thing, was sort of overdone to the downside. When I talked about high flyer names, this is the kind of name I want a low flyer, low multiple. And I think that, you know, they asked Jamie Dimon what he thought about the Fitch downgrade of the U.S. government. And he said, well, the market is going to decide what the downgrade is or not. And I think the same is true for, you know, J.P. Morgan Credit in the bank space. I think it's, you know, the absolute place to go. So to the extent that any of this was about the downgrade, I want to own it here. Are there others in that class of large banks who uh, might be at risk of downgrade? Well, I think to more, Dan's more point so about than, who handled the, who, hand, who has some hold to maturity issues, J.P. Morgan, no. Bank America, relative to where J.P. Morgan is, they didn't do nearly as good a job. So I would think if one were to get down, maybe they all get downgraded. I don't know, but I do think the market sort of will decide when they're, where they're issue, able to issue debt. But Bank America would be my, that's why I switch out of Bank America into J.P. Morgan. Yeah, we've been highlighting the relative underperformance of Bank America all year long to J.P. and, and, and some of the other large money center banks. But, you know, when you think about this, you know, there was a report today and you saw the great retail sales on one side, but then on the flip side, you're starting to see default rates. You know what I mean? On things that, you know, um, that people mm-hmm. need to get loans, right, on, on cars and, and this sort of thing. They're going up. They're getting back. Delinquencies to Delinquencies, delinquencies are, are going up to pre-pandemic levels. So we always, is, is some of the good data that we have, we always get some of the bad data. And then you kind of layer in the fact that we're going to have, what is it, a trillion dollars in student loan that that needs to get repaid again. You know what I mean? And and so, you know, households are going to have to start budgeting for this sort of stuff again. So this week, as we digest some of what these retailers have to say to us, I think it might be really instructive back to school and into the holiday season and get a better sense. Is the student debt repayment thing going to be a big influence? It's going to take a lot of play out. It's going to take. Sorry. It's going to take a while to play out. I yeah. think. I mean, you know, people. It's a it's a great headline, and you add it to all the headlines in terms of the weight on the consumer. But I, I, you know, the ability to to not do anything with your student loans for a while before someone comes after you means this is going to play out a lot longer than people thought. Yeah. All right. We got an earnings alert on Cava. The shares are jumping after the Mediterranean restaurant chain posted a profit in its first earnings report since going public. Kate Rogers has some details. Kate. 
Hi, Tyler. Well, you said it. Kava posting a profit of 21 cents in its first quarter as a public company on revenues of $173 million. That's $10 million higher than the analysts had estimated for the quarter. EPS also beat as analysts were projecting a two-cent loss for Kava. Its same store sales soared up 18.3%. The company's average unit volumes also rose from 2.4 million in the prior year quarter to 2.6 million in this quarter. Guidance for the full year also strong. It expects same store sales growth for the full year of between 13 and 15%. Also projecting adjusted EBITDA of 62 million to 67 million. CEO Brett Shulman sounding very upbeat about the long-term pipeline of talent at Kava and the digital loyalty it's building out with customers. He also told Barron's he is seeing a very, quote, resilient consumer. Much more to come from the call, but the stock up around 9% on this report. Back over oh, to you. That's a, that's a nice move, Tim. It's, it's been a growth story. It's been in terms of units and also same-store sales. So they're getting it from both sides. The profitability is something that caught people off guard. And I'll just say this about the fast casual and the restaurant segment. Those retail sales numbers were, were good, but they weren't great for a lot of discretionary stuff. But restaurants and bars are kicking it still. And, and that's part of the reason why you're seeing some of these numbers. No one expected profitability here. So I don't know if you chase it, but uh, it's, it's impressive what they're doing. All righty. Uh, there's a lot more fast to come. Here's what's coming up next. Comcast climbs while Lyft lifts. Two green arrows and a red day on Wall Street. The levels to watch in both names next. Plus, a surprise rate cut in China. As more data points to an even bleaker growth picture for the country. What the slowdown could mean for your money ahead. You're watching Fast Money. Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to Fast Money. Comcast shares closing at a 52-week high. The stock of uh, CNBC's parent company now trading at levels not seen since April of 2022. The Comcast gains today come as Nielsen reported that for the first time ever, linear TV accounted for less than half of U.S. viewing in the month of July. Guy, you got some thoughts on Comcast? I do. I mean, if you look at the move, and you just said it, there are levels you haven't seen in quite some time. We've just made a textbook 50% retracement of effectively the all-time high in the stock and the recent low. Decent volume day-to-day. -day. I think it traded about 20 million shares, a little more than normal. This is where you should probably be taking some money off the table. People point to valuation. Valuation has been compelling both on the upside and the downside in the entire space. But if you've enjoyed this move, I think you're starting to take some money off the table. All right. Shares of Lyft, meantime, topping the tape today, gaining almost 4%. 
after the CEO David Risher disclosed he had bought 100,000 shares. And take a look at this, Lyft's 50-day moving average getting close to crossing above its 200-day moving average for the first time since October of 2021. This stock is in two of our traders' acronyms this year, and so far it has been a drag. So the question, Dan, is, is it turning around? Well, possibly. I mean, listen, we all like the idea of a new CEO and the idea that you're going to give them a little bit of a honeymoon period. When you think about a company like this that has an enterprise value of $4 billion versus their next competitor that has nearly a $100 billion enterprise value and the importance of having a number two, that's the way we kind of operate here. I don't think Lyft is going away anytime soon. So when I think about all the reasons that people are excited about rideshare and autonomous driving and all these sorts of themes that are going to change transportation for, for decades to come, I think Lyft has a brand that they have a foothold. It was in my acronym for the most part because I thought there would be M&A with a name like Compare this. Compare those and enterprise so values again. Four, four, four billion versus, versus 97 billion. Hey, can we update Uber. that picture a little so, bit there, Sandy? Wait, I don't so what know. year? I, mean, like, you know, I don't know. I'm just going like to say something. Like a widow's the hair's changed like a little monster. bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's work on that. Okay. <laughs> um, that's, that's a great picture. But again, um, I just, you know, to me, I just think it's kind of a... Look at this. This is what you want. That's the, yeah, right here. Yeah, um, no, I, you know, I don't know. I just think it's kind of interesting. That's it, Tim. Tim? You, it's well, yours. I, I, to me, this is a combination of the macro is actually their friend. I don't think this is a, a you know, the headwinds of whatever we are coming out of and the, the headwinds of what we might be going into are not their issue. Their issue are things and issues that are particular to their industry in terms of drivers, in terms of some of the regulatory environment, and, and it's a competitive landscape. But the bottom line is there's plenty of room for these guys to operate. Are you guys as a group of believers in autonomous driving vehicles or not i'm not getting in one i'll tell you that i am I'm, I'm not you're not i'm not I'm not. not for a while i'm not i don't believe i don't trust i don't think they work in cities i think they're gonna, i, I think the first it. application is going to be long haul driving that sort of thing i mean i think on, on on highways and that sort of thing i i just think for the most part like right now there's a group in san francisco i just heard a great podcast i think it was on hard fork which is a new york times podcast they were talking about this group that's like opposing autonomous driving they oppose all cars for the most part they want to move yeah. people port towards public transportation but they're literally putting like orange cones that you get uh-huh. off the street in a construction area on top of the LIDAR thing that's supposed to see everything, and they yeah. just stop. That's the it. Cars stop. So you want to yeah. get yeah. you want to get in one of these things that just stops in the middle of the road? They're coming up to fire trucks, right? And they're stopping and they're stuck. You know, so the well, whole host thing. of things. I mean, they, they it's going to take a long time. They, I mean, yeah, they don't. They don't. The, the but cars. listen, can I tell you this? This is why the whole two Tesla things a fugazi. They're selling ten thousand full self driving. You know what I mean? Per car uh, upgrade software. It's not. He thought we were going to be here already. It's not happening it's for not, a decade. I, I, mean, trust I me. own one of not not one of the full self driving ones, but even the sort of halfway one. Mm-hmm. Is is a quirky thing to get used to, and it will. You having trouble out of parallel nowhere. parking? Stop. Is that, is that I, the issue? Yeah. Stop. Having a little trouble parallel parking? Is that I, one of those I've ones that does a problem with that? He, come <laughs> to, he doesn't have trouble with anything. <laughs> I'm good. But with his, that. So, I mean, think. You don't, when you're driving, yeah. you want to see a Tyler Matheson driving. You, you know, hanging out, the hair going. You don't want to see him what sleeping hair? in the car while some <laughs> autonomous thing is driving for Once you. Once upon a time. There was hair that would be oh. flying out the window. Always let you in the and lane, too. He's the guy. He's, he's course, a, come, on yeah. come on in. Guys. Come on in, guys. Come on in. All right, coming on up, is China facing a confidence crisis? A surprise rate cut, disappointing data, silence on the youth jobless rate. I don't want to tell you about that, how it's all pointing to a rough ride for investors. We'll dive deeper into that one next. Plus, retail earnings are still front and center. Stateside, Target, and TJX, both ready to report tomorrow. My wife will be listening as TJX and its brands are among her favorites. What the traders expect, as well as the options pits, when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. The major index is closing near their lows of the day. The Dow off 361. S&P closed below its 50-day moving average. First time that's happened since March. NASDAQ also lower, as you see right there. 1% declines for all three of them. But here's another bright spot. Eli Lilly shares trading at all-time highs back to its 1952 IPO. That pharma stock up more than 20% just this month. Eli Lilly raising full-year guidance last week after seeing its second quarter profit jump by 85%. Meantime, China's central bank announcing a surprise rate cut overnight as that country sees more signs of slowing growth. CNBC's Eunice Yoon has all the details. China cut policy rates by the most since the start of the pandemic three years ago. The move signaled to many here that the policymakers are increasingly concerned about the economy. The central bank reduced the one-year medium-term lending facility rate by a bigger than normal 15 basis points. It also cut the seven-day reverse repo rate, the key rate guiding short-term liquidity for the banks. The surprise move came amid very downbeat data for July. Retail sales rose a paltry 2.5% from a year ago when much of the country was under lockdown. Factory output missed. Fixed asset investment missed. Private investment contracted by half a percent. Real estate investment sank, reflecting the ongoing turmoil in the sector. Urban unemployment worsened, but the big question mark was about youth unemployment. China suspended reporting the data, citing a need to improve and optimize the methodology. Joblessness among young Chinese hit a fresh record in June, where one in five couldn't find work. So the decision to drop the jobs data didn't inspire confidence among investors. Back to you. All right, Eunice, thank you very much. Now, for more on what China's economic slowdown could mean for investors, let's in br bring in David Riedel. He's the president and founder of Riedel Research Group. David, welcome. Good to have you with us. Uh, what do you make of what's coming out of China? They're not going to now publish youth unemployment numbers, they, they, obviously because they don't like the numbers, and it has nothing to do with uh, improving the methodology, for goodness sakes. Uh, but also they have big problems in the, in the property sector. Uh, and, and a consumer that is relatively, I would say, defensive right now. Yeah, I really think a lot of people, myself included, were expecting the rebound after the COVID reopening to last a little bit longer. I think Beijing was expecting it to last a little bit longer as well. I think the reality is that during COVID, the rest of the world figured out that their supply chains were far too dependent on China. So they diversified their supply chains. They diversified to India, to Indonesia, to Mexico, to other places. And so when China opened back up, I think they found themselves without as many friends uh, as before the pandemic. So I think some of this is self-inflicted. Some of it is the reality of the external world changing, but it's really a problem. Add to that demographics and a slowdown in overall growth. And I think you've got some trouble for Beijing. Tim? David, it's Tim. So I agree on the Japanization, so to speak, of, of China. Um, your notes, you also though rightly point out that 2 to 4% growth doesn't mean you can't invest in the region. Sentiment is as weak and as poor as I've ever seen on China, and I've been looking at China a long time. You talked about EDU. Um, some of the Internet names are ones that I think are less about the macro than they really are about what the government is doing with the sector. Can you talk about uh, opportunities there? Yeah, I really think uh, we've talked about this before. I think that uh, we're telling our clients that we don't expect Beijing to have any big crackdown on tech, any uh, breakdown like they did with Alibaba a couple of years ago and Jack Ma disappearing and so on and so forth. Uh, I don't think you're going to see that because that would be a self-inflicted wound for Beijing to add more fuel to the fire of investors turning away. So I think you're actually going to see some domestic stimulus 
maybe voucher programs or rebate programs, encouraging people to buy that new air conditioner or washing machine or electric vehicle to really drive that domestic consumption. They like to have things that Beijing can control and they can't control the export environment right now. So that I think they're gonna to try to build up domestic consumption to the extent that they can. But their wallet is not unlimited like it was before the pandemic. They can't just continue to spend their way through and borrow their way through uh, these kinds of, uh, of, of rough patches in their economy. So this is a brave new world for, for China and one that's gonna be tricky for Beijing to navigate. Karen? Yeah, David, thanks for being on. Do you think that, you know, there's a lot of talk about when or if they would look to invade Taiwan. Do you think this could be a time where let's change the whole narrative of what's going on in the country now, and this is something we can all rally around, so this might be the right time to invade Taiwan? You know that I'm very concerned about that happening in the longer term. I'm not concerned about it happening in the very near term. Uh, I think that the noise around the vice president's visit to New York, what, just last week, uh, tells you that they're very concerned about Taiwan's growing calls for independence and, and uh, separation from, from, uh, from mainland China. I think you really have to pay attention to the South China Sea. I was very concerned by this attack recently by the Chinese military, the Chinese Navy, on a Philippine resupply ship. They shot water cannons at them to prevent them from resupplying one of their military bases on one of their own islands. Uh, this is a real hot spot around the world. And I think we could look back five years from now and say, Whoa, we missed that the same way we missed uh, Russia, Ukraine, uh, and shame on us for, for missing what's a really serious problem in the South China Sea. All right, David, thanks very much. David Riedel, we appreciate your time. Let's trade this. Um, is China investable right here or not? I, I think it is. I, I think our concern on the macro, I, I, I wouldn't be investing in China, uh, Chinese banks. I think the FXI is a, a difficult chart. I look at the K-Web. You're kind of at the bottom of an up range. I, I'm long Baba. I've been adding to that. I think EM uh, has problems with all the headlines on China right now. Currencies are blowing out across EM. And the yuan is something that I think you have to watch because there has been a move in that currency. It has a lot to do with the dollar's rally. But China is investable, and I think positioning is so weak um, that in a handful of these names, I'm not betting on the macro. August of 2015, the yuan devalue in China sent global markets spiraling, if you recall, August, mm, September, do. October. And those, it, what's happening right before our eyes, to Tim's point, you're seeing this effectively devaluation right, right before our eyes. Our equity markets have not picked up on it yet. I think it's a matter of time before they do. Dan, thoughts? Uh, you know, the investable one, I think we get ourselves in a little trouble here, don't we, on the show when we say uninvestable, you know, that yeah, sort of yeah, thing, because yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it just goes right up. Um, <laughs> you know, this one's a hard one. You know, Carter, we were talking to him earlier today, he likes the, the technical setup in the FXI right here. He thinks it's like the sentiment's really poor, and he just thinks that it's trying to make a, a little bit of a bottom. And I guess from a trading standpoint, but all the things that, that uh, David just said, I, I think there's, there's lots of questions, you know. And if there is some sort of geopolitical situation there, I think the precedent that was set by U.S. multinationals was with Russia in their invasion of Ukraine, I think it's going to be really hard to disregard that, you know, and China is such an important part of, you know, a lot of growth plans for a lot of these companies. So to me, I, I would be more worried about U.S. multinationals and their exposure there and then their deglobalization or their move away from the supply chains. And all of that is inflationary. Ukraine is was frightening enough, but the idea of a hot war in Taiwan is a real I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think you could possibly overstate how cataclysmic that could be. Yeah, it's concerning, and we would have to be all in 
way more than we are. Yes, yes so. exactly. Right. And, and when you think about the, I mean, not that Ukraine is an insignificant economic player. It certainly ingrains it's very, it is a very significant player. But when you look at what Taiwan produces mm -hmm. and, and how China. critical that, and China right. produces, and what China produces for, to your point, U.S. multinational corporations, it, this could be. No bueno. The, this could be the, the game changer of the century, not to overstate it, but I just said you can't overstate it. Right? Yeah. You did it anyway. I did it anyway. Yeah. Right. Wait for you. Stated. I mean, you should be at <laughs> no, a blue paint dinner somewhere. Cheery note of <laughs> Armageddon coming up. Are you retail ready? Well, you better be because we got two big reports coming out tomorrow. So we'll target and TJX ring the register. We'll check in on the options pits next. And some shaky foundations for the home builders, why the sector is feeling as sour as it has been all year and what it means potentially for the stocks. We got that story when Fast returns right here in Times Square. But, but he's cool on hard knocks. Tell the folks what we're talking about. Come on. He, yeah. Aaron Rodgers was cool Well, he's a big fan of this show, so we got to point yeah. out Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Is Fast yeah. Money. Welcome to New York, Aaron. We're, we're glad to have you. Good to have you. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Two huge earnings reports out before the bell tomorrow. Target and TJX. I don't think Mr. Rodgers will be at either of them tomorrow shopping. I don't know. Maybe, you know, you never but know. He likes a bargain at TJX. New house to furnish. The parent company of TJ Maxx will get uh, its turn to tell the tale of the American consumer. Target specific specifically underperforming TJX and its biggest rival Walmart this year, down more than 15%, sitting at its lowest level since July of 2020. How about that for Target? What do you make of these names right now, Karen? I'm long all of them, actually. You're long all of yes, them. Yes, I am. Mm. With the... Uh, what do you see there that the market doesn't? Well, so Target is, you know, back to the, the multiple between Target and Walmart is as wide as it's been in a really long time. Walmart's done a great job executing. Target is not. We've talked a lot about Walmart having food and staples of things people really need. Target really excels at things people kind of want with a higher margin. And TJX is a little bit in between. Home Goods is probably not going to do great, but Target, the, tar the Marmax part is... Uh, I, I like it. I think at 23 and change times, they seem to do good. They seem to do good business in any environment, right? They seem to do well when there's a lot of excess goods and they can buy them cheap and sell them cheap and make margins still. Or when, I, when the consumer's feeling good. I'm very good. surprised Home Goods is not doing well given the amount of time my wife spends there. <laughs> it is her favorite place. Well, maybe I she's unilaterally holding it up because if you think about how Probably. the pandemic was extraordinary yeah. for home goods. Yeah, yeah. Right? You're and pretty stocked up on that. scented candles, guy. Right? You yeah. say that as like you, it's a derogatory, I mean, it's a bad thing. I, oh, yes. It's, it's By the way, the Joe Malone said Henry Bendel's candles back in the day were extraordinary. Oh, is that yes. right? I, Unbelievable. Of course, they obviously they went out of business. It's a problem for me. I can't get them anymore. Yeah. So I've moved to Joe Malone. Flame you know, is Joe gone. Joe <laughs> uh, Malone. Yeah. So Joe Malone yeah. at, at Home Goods. I didn't say they did. All right. Well, you I'm brought moving. it up. TJX, by the way. I mean, you can make a pretty that. compelling case. I think Dana Telsey, who's the axe in the space, actually just said some pretty, uh, pretty positive things about the name and the earnings. Trades it, I think, 26 times, which probably is reasonable for them. All right. Options traders are doubtful that tomorrow's report is going to lead to a turnaround for Target. Mike Coe now with the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so right now the options market implying a move of about 7%. That seems like a lot. Of course, it's moved even more than that on average the last eight quarters, a result of a couple of disappointing ones where we saw moves of 13 and even 25% to the downside. It traded five times. 
its average daily put volume today. One of the trades that stood out to me, a purchase of 1,200 of the September 120 strike puts. Those traded for $4.80. The buyer of those puts spending about $576,000 in premium betting. The target is going to drop below that $120 strike price by September expiration. That's a month away. All right, there you go. There's the call for more options. Thanks, Mike, for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time on CNBC. Coming up, home builder hold up. Rising mortgage <laughs> rates taking a toll on the construction companies. The whole housing picture ahead when Fast Money returns. All right, everybody, welcome back to Fast Money. Home builder sentiment dropping sharply in August, but uh, that's the first decline in seven months. As mortgage rates approach new records that go back a couple of decades, let's get to Diana Olick with the details. Hi, Di. Hey, Ty. Yeah, builders are blaming higher mortgage rates, among other things, for a drop in buyer interest, and that hit builder sentiment hard in August. It fell six points to 50 on the National Association of Home Builders Index, the lowest since May when it last rose to 50, and 50 is the line between positive and negative sentiment. Rates are the biggest factor. The 30-year fixed hit 7.26% today, according to Mortgage News Daily. Rates have been over 7% for several weeks now, reducing affordability. Now, of the Builder Index's three components, current sales conditions fell five points to 57. Sales expectations in the next six months dropped four points to 55. And buyer traffic dropped the most, down six points to 34, solidly in negative territory. The builders also said they are going back to incentives again. After dropping sharply for four months, the share of builders cutting prices now rose to 25% from 22% in July. One more little factoid, the Mortgage Bankers Association just reported that demand for FHA loans to buy newly built homes is continuing to rise, meaning that first-time buyers who usually can't afford new construction are just trying to get in because they can't find anything else to buy, Tyler. All right, Diana, thanks very much. Who wants to pick up here on the home builders? Got a thought? Anybody? Going once, going yes. twice. All right. Yes. So we've had a great run. In fact, they've been more yeah. defensive than almost they any were other so part of the market, last even year. in the last few weeks. Um, I think you get a place where the multiples on the builders themselves are actually still you know, investable. I don't think you, you want to chase, though. I, I think you Is have one had, you like better than. Well, other? I, I, I would just say that what I've been doing. In fact, I sold some restoration hardware. I've been selling some of the peripherals. They've also had a great run. What I heard out of retail sales today, what I think is there's a lot less furniture that's going to be bought. Uh, and I think there was a snapback trade here. And, and I think a lot of these things got destroyed when everybody thought the Fed was going to knock them out. Multiples are now not cheap. All right. We're going to uh, take a pause. Up next, the final trades. Be right back. Fifty-six seconds. That's what we got. It's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. That was exciting, Tyler. Thank you for having <laughs> us. Uh, Restoration Harbor, be a seller here. I think you're going to see some guide downs. You sold it uh, today? You today. Sold it. How about that? Karen. Yes, we just talked about it. Yep. TJX reports tomorrow morning. It's not cheap, but it's not expensive for the value they deliver. So not long cheap, TJX. Not expensive. Long TJX. Dan. Yeah, XHB, that's a home builder ETF. I actually bought some puts oh, today. So short-term put. bearish. Short-term right. bearish. Guy. It's amazing you having it. Your wife is watching. My Say wife is wife. watching. Yeah, she's watching. Yeah. And she likes Joe Malone. Damn straight. She, she's a smart woman. She I, loves you too. Yeah. Come on, she's only human. Amgen. Yeah. Amgen. That's the last word. Thanks yeah, for watching Fast Money, everybody. You know what's up now. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. 